This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Majority Report, Citizen Radio, This Week in Blackness, and The Rachel Maddow Show. And a note that the number to the congressional switchboard is 202 202- Two two four three one two one. Just in case you feel like calling your representatives to tell them to do something about something. Look, when I was growing up, um, I grew up in a context where I was in a suburb in New Jersey, and I, there wasn't terrible racial discrimination, as far as I knew, at least. I grew up there till I was eighteen. I was a kid, uh, and I didn't understand why we needed affirmative action, and I was against it at the time because I thought it was unjust. And now. I'm against it for other reasons now because I think it's counterproductive uh, because it reinforces some of those stereotypes. Uh, but the first part I was totally wrong about. Like, look, in our context, our class president happened to be black, Cyril Johnson, and I thought, well, look, I'm in the same town as Cyril. I'm in the same exact situation. You know, why in the world would he, should he get an advantage in applying to schools, etc.? But what I didn't understand is that, that those were the 1980s, and we were only about 20 years removed from black people being lynched in the south everybody didn't live in my context they lived in a completely different context where being black was an enormous disadvantage and it wasn't from 150 years ago it was from at most a generation ago and you think it got solved overnight through one generation or now when it's about two generations later well if you think that you're wrong and i could show it to you in the numbers so the unemployment rate in January of 2013 was basically twice as high for blacks as it is for whites. Whites were at 7%, blacks of 13.8%. Now, that's a big, big number. And on a macro scale, you see, well, maybe the job opportunities are not the same if you're in two different races. And it's not necessarily because of racism. Uh, it could be that it's the legacy of racism that... that People started in such a hole that it's hard to climb out of that hole. So if you already have a dad who had a good job, you're a lot more likely to get a good job because he's going to look out for you. But if two generations ago, none of the people in your family were allowed to have good jobs, well, it's much harder for you to have a good job two generations later. So when it comes to income, the disparity is even greater. Look at this. Whites... Individuals, now not families, families are a little higher numbers in both categories, but white individuals make $29,401 on average in 2011. Blacks make only $18,357. Jesus, that is a gigantic difference. You really think it's a level playing field? You think that at most two generations was enough for all the blacks in this country to catch up to all the advantages that white people had? Do you know that white people get inheritance five times more than uh, black people do, or five times more likely to get an inheritance than black folks do? I mean, that's one of a hundred examples I can give you. So does that give you a little bit more of an advantage? Of course it does. Now, none of this means that you, as a white person, if you're watching this, is a racist or are responsible for any of this. What we're trying to show you with the numbers here is that things might not be as hunky-dory as you think they are, right? That there is still a significant struggle in this country to get to a uh, point of parity. Now, you feel like the income numbers were bad. Wait till you get a load of the wealth numbers. Now, one of the things they keep telling us is that things have improved. And part of the reason for that is that it's true. We're not in 1965 anymore. There aren't colored water fountains. People don't flip out, by and large, if black people go into the same pool as white people. Although sometimes we do stories about that, too, in modern-day America. But overall, no, we've gotten much better on that. 
But do you know that between 1984 and 2009, the wealth gap between whites and blacks didn't get smaller. It actually got three times larger. So what happened to trickle-down economics? It trickled all over some of us. So in some ways, things have gotten worse. Now, to give you the raw numbers, this is amazing. Household net worth, can, this is a Brandeis University study that just came out, based on 2009 numbers. Look at that. Whites, $265,000. Household net worth, that's the money they have, not the income. Blacks, $28,500. That's a close to a 10 to 1 disparity. Now, you really think it's a level playing field? Now, you can't think that. You just can't. You're kidding yourself if you think it's level. So, look, again, I think that affirmative action clearly has some upsides because there's still a lot of catching up to do. I think it also has a downside in that it reinforces those stereotypes, and I think those stereotypes are incredibly dangerous. But that's a separate conversation from at least recognizing the clear problem that we have in this country so that we could all work towards a constructive solution. That's the reality in America. talked to Ari Berman quite a bit over the uh, the past several months about Shelby County versus Holder, which was in front of the Supreme Court regarding Section 5 and Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act. Section 5 essentially says that there are some states that must be pre-cleared almost a dozen states, but um, really it's by county. Most of those states are southern states. However, there are counties in New York State, I believe one upstate, one, uh, one that covers Queens, in California as well. Counties that have had a historical record of attempting to disenfranchise some minorities, uh, uh, different minorities voting rights. And Section 5 says that those counties that are under Section 5 must be pre-cleared by the Department of Justice to make any changes to their voting laws. Section 4 is essentially the formula which determines which counties are bound by Section 5. According to the holding today um, out of the Supreme Court, in an opinion by Chief Justice John Roberts that was joined by, and this is going to come as a huge surprise to you, Justices Scalia, Kennedy, Thomas, and Alito, holds that Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act, which sets out this formula that is used to determine which state and local governments must comply with Section 5's pre-approval requirement is unconstitutional and can no longer be used. So Section 5 remains, 
but it has virtually no effect. In fact, I think not virtually. I think it has no effect because we do not know which states are bound under Section 5. The Supreme Court basically said it has to go back to Congress and they have to develop a new formula, which again, which I guess at that point then is presumptively constitutional until it gets back to the Supreme Court and they reject it anyways because they don't believe there's any more racism in this country. I think Justice Ginsburg in her uh, dissent, and I've yet to read all of the, the these rulings, said uh, essentially this is equivalent of saying you don't need it uh, in the same way you don't need an umbrella anymore because you're not getting wet once you carry around the umbrella. So the umbrella is no longer needed. This is uh, going to have, I think, immediate impacts on the 24 elect, uh, 2014 election cycle because you're going to see the myriad of counties and states, for that matter, who passed uh, or attempted to pass laws that would have disenfranchised various voters, particularly Texas. That was reversed by the DOJ because it was found to be a poll tax uh, in uh, other clothing. You're going to see them re-implement this, and instead of the DOJ starting off by saying, no, you cannot implement this, it's going to have to then go to court. And so we're going to hear a whole new round over the next 16 months of attempts by Republican-controlled legislators, legislatures, I should say, imposing requirements to vote that will necessarily disenfranchise voters, and then the court cases that will follow. How would you like to be able to read books and periodicals without the need for tree-killing paper, the actual ability to read, or having to pay a giant corporation for the pleasure? I sure would, but I don't think that exists. Two out of three ain't bad, though, because Audible, an Amazon company, is just such a giant corporation that can make these other wishes a reality. By signing up at audiblepodcast.com slash best, you'll receive a free audiobook of your choice, yours to keep even if you cancel within the 14-day free trial. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best to take something for nothing from a company who obviously didn't write the copy for this advertisement. Now that the George uh, Zimmerman case has just started, the trial has just started, um, they're calling star witnesses. And one star witness that uh, took to the stand was Rachel Jontel. She was the woman, or yes, the 19-year-old woman who was on the phone with Trayvon Martin as George Zimmerman was following him. And some are kind of disagreeing as to whether or not her testimony is going to help or hurt the defense. But we have a few videos so you guys can judge for yourselves. Now, uh, in the following videos, she's being questioned by defense attorney Don West. And she She's being asked about who she heard screaming on the phone. Let's watch the first video. Gentel says over the phone she heard Zimmerman approach and confront Martin. And I say, Trayvon, and then he said, why are you following me for? And then I heard a hard breath man come and say, what you doing around here? 
Moments later, Gentel said she heard a struggle and describes Zimmerman as the attacker. I kind of heard Trayvon saying, get off, get off. Then what did you hear? Then secondly, the phone hung up. So in that first video, she seems pretty clear that the person who was saying, get off, get off, was Trayvon Martin. But in the next video, she seems to contradict herself. So let's take a look. The defense also focused on inconsistencies between what she said in her earlier deposition and what she said on the stand. Do you admit then that you were asked who was screaming for help and your answer was it could be Trayvon? Yes. I told you it sounded like Trayvon because Trayvon have a kind of baby voice. So the question is, well, who is screaming for help? It's not Trayvon, is it? And your answer, it could be Trayvon. And the question, you know his voice so well. Was that, Trayvon Mark, was that Trayvon screaming for help or wasn't it? Your answer, it could be. Like I said, I don't know, but it could be. The dude sound kind of like Trayvon. Trayvon do got that soft voice and that baby voice sometimes. So it could be, I don't know, you know it's not. So, in the first video, she seems pretty certain that it's Trayvon. In the second video, you can tell that she had said on the record that she thought it could be him. And some people are saying that that is going to be very helpful to the defense, because if she's contradicting herself, is she really credible? Yeah, look, I already hate the coverage of this uh, trial, to be honest. And, and this is part of why I hate it. This is actually an important case. It's not like Jody Arias. It's not like all those other cases that was just like nothing but titillation. But they've taken an important case and they've turned it into a soap opera. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, okay, what did Jean-Tel uh, uh, say? How did she say it? You know, is she this? Is she that? And now it's, and you've got, you know, headline news doing reenactments in their break room. And they've turned it into crap. And look, I, I care about the substance. Can you do stand your ground and just shoot people in Florida and say, I don't know, I mean, there was a fight. I, maybe I picked a fight. But there was a fight at some point, and so I shot the guy. That's really important, and that affects people's lives. But we're in now into like, oh, I'm in the nitty gritty of Chantal. Look, for the, for the jury, what we That's just discussed—it's important. It's it's very important. Yes. Okay, for the jury. But for our purposes, I'm not even sure that that's important. Let alone when you get into the real crap of like, what, how did she sound? Did she do him any favors or not? Because you know, I don't know. She sounded pretty real. Right? There's those yeah, insinuations. So, so there are, of course, disagreements as to whether or not she's helpful to the defense. Um, and some people are saying that, well, you know, the fact that she's so authentic and she seems real could actually help uh, with the prosecution because that'll help with her credibility. She's not changing her demeanor, demeanor or anything just to appeal to the jury. So that might actually appeal to the jurors. Um, but at the same time, uh, the other argument or the counter argument to that is, well, uh, if she is a friend of Trayvon Martin, well, she's black and she's scary looking and she seems like she's uneducated so that must mean that Trayvon Martin was the same way and he could have been dangerous so George Zimmerman was just trying to protect himself in the neighborhood uh, now this is the part that sickens me now we're having conversations about whether Trayvon's friend was too ghetto keep it real right that's the that's the actual conversation that's happening right yes so uh, let me look I, don't get me wrong I get that within a trial that there's going to be these judgments on people, right or wrong, and it's, it might affect the decision of the jury, etc. What I don't like is that we've turned it into a sport. 
right? And so headline news doesn't care with the policy implications of stand your ground and how many people are going to be killed based on, in, on whether Zimmerman gets away with it or not, etc. But they love the titillation. They're like, oh, what did people say about Chantel? Yay! Well, that equals rating. So let's keep it real. Headline news is not interested in policy and what the implications are to society. They care about ratings. They care about advertisers and money. But for the purposes of this discussion, you know, of course, we can focus on the elements of the story that really do matter. Um, by the way, going back to what I said about how the jurors might see her as a threat, Rayshon Ray, who's an associate professor of sociology at the University of Maryland, says the following. Black teenagers, as their bodies develop, become viewed as being much older and in many ways more dangerous than white teenagers. So if individuals are watching this and they see Jantel and view her as an adult, then your expectations for what she should do become very different than if you view her as a teenager and more similar to a child. By the way, the trial is also happening quite a bit after the shooting happened. So, okay, but Rachel didn't look like that when the shooting happened. Okay, now she's older. Oh, well, now she's older, and now... I look, man, I, George Zimmerman I, certainly doesn't look the same. Yeah, well, that's true, too. <laughs> yeah. And now we're going to get body language experts. You know shit has devolved when you're down to body language experts. Exactly. Okay, so we got to go to a few more videos, Cenk. Uh, let's go to video A4. Um, in this video, uh, Jantel is asked to read a letter that she had given to Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin, after the incident occurred. Um, but as you can see, she has a difficult time reading. Ms. Gentel, would you take a look at that copy of the letter and let me ask you a couple of questions about it. Do you recognize that letter as being one that you said earlier was prepared to be given to Ms. Fulton? Yes. And that letter was prepared with the assistance of a friend of yours named Francine Sir? Yes. And you and uh, Ms. Serve talked about what you wanted to be in the letter, and then she helped write it in a way that was legible, correct? Yes. But the contents of the letter are yours. Yes. Are you able to read that copy well enough that you can tell us if it's in fact the same letter? No. Are you unable to read that at all? Some, I do not. Can you read any of the words on it? I don't understand. Um, curses. I don't read curses. I, I hate that part because the, the, the defense attorney makes clear that she had a friend write it for her, that she had told her friend what to write. I felt like the whole point of that was to make her look stupid. And, and, and to make the jurors judge her based on, you know, her lack of ability to read cursive. That was so unnecessary, and I hated that. No, it was to humiliate her. And that proves that Zimmerman is innocent how? How she can read that letter is related to Zimmerman's guilt or innocence in which way? So, what was implied, oh, I hope it backfires. What was implied there was, ha-ha, look at how stupid this star witness is. Are you really going to trust her testimony? That's yeah. what that was about, and it really bothered me. Yeah, I hope it backfires. And then final video had to do with um, Trayvon Martin and what he told Jantel when uh, George Zimmerman was following him. One thing about what Trayvon Martin told you that made you think this was racial. Describing a person. Pardon me? Describing a person. 
I just didn't describing the person that was watching him and following him. I sir. Describing the person is what made you think it was racial? Yes. And that's because he described him as a creepy ass cracker? Yes. So it was racial, but it was because Trayvon Martin put race in this. No. You don't think that's a racial comment? No. You don't think that creepy ass cracker is a racial comment? No. Well, you didn't mention it in your letter, correct? That's just a part. That's just a personal letter to mama. Right. You didn't tell Miss. That's just a personal letter to the mother. You didn't tell Miss Fulton that the man that was following him was a creepy ass cracker, did you? No. You didn't tell Mr. Crump in the recorded interview that Trayvon Martin described George Zimmerman as a creepy ass cracker. No. All right. Uh, look, when he is attacking her for could be or 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 definitely Trayvon crying out, that's perfectly legitimate. That's what the defense is supposed to do, and it's relevant to the trial. I understand. Then he humiliates her and embarrasses her for no reason. And now we're into the creepy ass cracker stuff. Now here's the I got news for uh, the attorney here. Uh, he was followed by a creepy ass cracker. That's exactly what happened. And Zimmerman also brought race into it, and he's worried that this guy is following me because of my race, and hence reporting to the person on the phone, this guy's following me like, like there's an issue here, right? And guess what? It turned out Trayvon was right. It turns out a guy was following him. Race was an issue. Zimmerman had been following black guys all the time through the neighborhood on his so-called neighborhood watch when nobody put him on that watch. And he had a gun, and he was creepy, and he did stalk Trayvon Martin. Now we go to the issue of, oh my God, he used a bad word. By the way, let's just note for the record here real quick that Trayvon's dead, and Zimmerman is the one who shot him. But now all of a sudden, Trayvon is guilty. Because he said, he said on the phone, cracker. So, well, I mean, well, what were you going to do? Not shoot him in the it. chest? Yeah. Right? Now, JR, let's go to the analysis of the word cracker and whether that's unacceptable and someone should be judged after they've been killed, by the way, for using that word. I, I hate the term be only because it, it, first off, it's hard to have that as a racial term when you're the uh, group that's being oppressed throughout, throughout history. Um, so the term being cracker was... I don't know, maybe it's up to dispute, but this is what I read. Uh, slave owners with whips and crack, they'd crack the whip and punish slaves in, 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 in many instances. So cracker being that source or that person of so-called authority over other people. So it really isn't biting back at anyone. It's not like a, the, the opposite term for the N-word or any of that type of stuff. It doesn't put you, if a white person hears it, they don't go, man. It's such a source of, of oppression for over the years for our people. It's, it's not the same thing. Yeah. See, when they use the N-word, uh, oftentimes what followed uh, throughout a lot of years in, in our history, unfortunately, was they would string you up on a tree. So that's why the N-word has connotations that are ugly and offensive and a problem. If you got called a cracker back in the day, it's because you were cracking the whip while you were beating your slave. See, not the same connotation. It's a little different, don't you think? 
And I love the people who pretend to be super upset by words like honky. Like, oh my God, I can't believe he called me a honky. And then what happened? Nine out of ten times, 99 out of 100 times, absolutely nothing happened. Okay? Because it it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. And here, by the way, what happened in this case? The guy with the Skittles and the iced tea was worried about the creepy cracker who was following him. Why do we? And keep what happened? He got shot in the chest. Yeah. Right? Why do we keep forgetting about who provoked the the altercation? Like, you you see what I'm saying? He was told to stop following him by the 911 dispatcher, and he continued to follow. Like, why do we continuously forget about that? Yeah. It would be like me, like slapping you continuously, and then when you do something to fight back, I'm like, ah, violence. Did you see that? He hit a woman. Yeah. Uh, look, if I was a prosecution, and I'm sure the judge would try to put an end to it, but with every single witness, relevant or not, my first question would be, remind me who was following who again? Oh, right. And remind me who had the gun again? Right. Zimmerman was following Trayvon. Zimmerman had the gun. And remind me who shot who? Oh, right. Zimmerman shot Trayvon. Okay, all right, now let's move on with the rest of the question. Sunday to God's day, a day of rest. The NBA All-Stars are playing next. But right outside that same city, the celebratory atmosphere would change quickly. Who watching the game with me? You know Lil Trayvon was repping his hometown, D-Wade and LeBron. He had just came up from Miami to see a daddy who knew such a great weekend with him. Badly in a place where you move because it's safe for your family. But some people got an ingrown hate for your family. Halftime, just a short break from the slam. About to go to the store, no buzz. You want some candy? Bet I'll grab you some Skittles, kid. I'll be right back in a little bit. I said I'll grab you some Skittles, kid. I'll probably be right back in a little bit. The Supreme Court being yeah. racist. Yeah. We should probably just get right into it. Yeah. Uh,. I thought you were gonna, for some, for whatever reason, I thought you were gonna dance around it a little more. Uh, but you were, you were correct. Uh, racist. Uh, the members of the Supreme Court are racist and belong in a time where uh, white hoods were worn over your face and people rode on horseback to to light crosses on fire because they're racist. Can I tell you what? It- I believe it actually is. Like, I believe everyone, of course... Racism. uh, You know, can be racist to a point. We are certainly all are recipients of white privilege if we are white individuals. So, what I actually think it is, and um, I believe Reverend Sharpton made this point when he was so mad on MSNBC, like, just trying to get through... Don't name drop black people. So what he was saying was um, that because the Voting Rights Act was so successful, and it, it, it was tremendously successful in, you know, not alleviating racism by any means, but lessening discrimination in the South against black individuals when they were trying to do things like vote. The Voting Rights Act was really, really, really important. Now, the Supreme Court justices... Um, other than Clarence Thomas and uh, Sotomayor, are white people, and they they don't have a lot of experience being black voting in the South. Uh, and they look at the gains we've made as a society, and they think, wow, the Voting Rights Act was really successful. I guess we don't need it anymore, which is a really fucking stupid conclusion. Because it's like, right, it was so successful, we still need it. In fact, if you take it away... 
it's going to have really detrimental consequences. It's successful because it's there. That's my, that's yeah. what I mean, yeah. And are we a progressive enough show that I can say uh, Clarence Thomas has to give black, back his blackness? I can't. I don't think you should say that. Because we're progressive enough where people will analyze it and be like, black people, it's racist to say they're all the same, like that kind of thing. Whatever. I stand by it. So... Can I just quickly explain, like, what it is so people know what we're talking about? Okay. So the Washington Post actually has a really good recap of what the court's decision means, and I'll link to it in the episode recap. But... The SCOTUS ruled that a key component of the 1965 Voting Rights Act is unconstitutional. In a 5-4 decision, the court decided that Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act is unconstitutional. So Section 4 dictates which parts of the country must receive pre-clearance before election laws can be changed there. Now, why would that be the case? Well, there are some areas of the country... Uh, that are very racist, and they will do things that make it harder for black people to vote. Um, in fact, when you look at which states um, fall under Section 5, Alaska, Arkansas, Arizona, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, Texas, and Virginia all have GOP-run legislatures. Yikes. So who benefits from disenfranchising black people? Republicans. So, of course, they were, like, so psyched and huge proponents of this section being repealed. Well, that's why I'm like, I don't... Like, look, say what you will about the Supreme Court. They're all intelligent, Yes. I don't think that well, privilege, I mean, like, they did something smart. They passed a couple smart person tests to at <laughs> least, I can't even get in, I yeah. couldn't finish high school. Yeah, they're smart people, yeah. They got into some sort of court school. They're in the elite club, they made it. Yeah. And I, I just don't buy that they, honest to God, all literally all they had to do to see if racism was over, was turn on the TV the day they brought this decision down to see the Trayvon Martin case. Well, let me say this. I don't think that the majority of them think racism is over. I think that's something that liberals have been saying is sort of like a snide comment. Here's what the Supreme Court actually said. They said, we think this is unconstitutional, but we are aware that racism still exists. Therefore, we're kicking this back to Congress. Here's why that's a terrible thing to do. Has our Congress been able to accomplish anything lately? They're terrible. So they might as well have just thrown it out. I mean, honestly, like the Congress we have right now is paralyzed. They're not going to do anything with it. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, we've seen Clarence Thomas, uh, whose like wife has like all these ties to like these like Tea Party groups. We've seen. Yeah, I mean, Thomas is like extraordinary. John Roberts has hated the fucking Voting Rights Act since he was a judge under Reagan, I think. Yeah, it's interesting because I think. Like, we're not in their hearts and, and minds. We don't know if they're racist. But I think sometimes they excuse what they're doing by saying states' rights. We don't want the federal government telling people how to run their elections. But that's why we need courts. Because sometimes yeah. the states are fucking racist. And, uh, you know, I mean, you always say this about how it's like you need federal protection 
for minorities or else it's just going to be a bunch this is of what happens fucking yeah crazy ass white people and in theory uh, things go to the supreme court because every other legal mechanism has failed so but this is like we're we're seeing the the supreme court sort of work in reverse i that's a great way to put it. i was trying to figure out how to phrase it where it's it's not protecting rights it's stripping rights it's it's returning to like the the dark ages Dude, where literally I, it's like man if you were poor and black in this country or of color period uh i, I don't know if you're gonna be able to vote now honestly what, now what if you're a black sexual harasser <laughs> you'll be able to sexually harass but you still can't but vote. you can't vote yeah fair enough <laughs> i yeah i mean it's like if someone was like hey uh the mississippi state legislature is d- debating bringing slavery to this to the supreme court i'd be like don't do it don't take the case Another thing I'm really sick of is the the media when they're like, you know, the the civil rights community is really mad. But no, everyone should be mad. This is like an American principle. And also civil rights is code for like black people. And it's like this isn't a fucking this shouldn't be like a partisan issue. You shouldn't be like. Uh, civil rights. What does that even mean anymore? The ghost of Martin Luther King Jr. is upset. It's like, no, we, we should all be fucking upset because it affects all of us because it's stripping something that, you know, millions of people fucking fought for. Like, this is cra- it's It's equality. It's not a fucking partisan. Like, the civil rights group isn't like some, like, obscure lobby. It's a a, 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 fringe group. Yeah, it's a large part of the fucking population. And white people should be ashamed, too. I mean, fuck the civil rights movement. That's one of the only good things we've done in this stupid country. Well, admittedly, I've just been watching MSNBC and like looking at my Twitter feed. But it seems like people are universally upset about like I haven't just seen like black activists. No, but but on MSNBC, they're phrasing it that way. Like I, at least I saw one reporter phrase it that way. Well, where, let me, let me say, where they're like, I, the civil rights community is upset. No, everybody is upset. Well, let me say, when I hear civil rights community, I, I don't think of it that way. I, I'm like, right, because civil rights are a really good thing, and and rights are a good thing. The, uh, so I was like, yes, I consider myself part of that community, no, and I'm I, angry. I think it's just reporters. It's that fucking code for like the black people are upset. Because what do you think of when you do you think of you when you when you when someone says the civil rights movement do you picture like me and you like with the but black that's power not what they're, sign? They're not saying the civil rights movement is upset. They're saying the civil rights community. Which yeah, is like I still picture now. like no, I still picture like. But it's not just black, black people. people. It's like you know Hispanic people. It's not, it's, but I still think that's like code uh, for when reporters say that. Maybe. So, yeah, this is obviously a horrible, horrible uh, decision. Like I said, pretty much everyone I've, I've seen, like, reporter-wise, uh, pundit-wise reacting to it has been like, holy shit. If you don't vote, you hurt yourself, and you can't blame nobody else. This program can only do what it does because of the members who support the show for as little as $5 a month. And as thanks for the support, members now get access to bonus content, including additional voicemails and clips that didn't fit in the big show, and additional stories and discussion topics from me. Plus, I've organized a full archive of the show, including a curated selection of my favorite past episodes, as well as a collection of my absolute favorite radio clips from all sorts of places. All that now available only to members. If you're already a member and want access to all this great content, drop me an email at j at bestoftheleft.com so I can get you set up. And if you're not yet a member, you can sign up now at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
More news from uh, the Zimmerman Law Team. I can't. I'm not even sure I'm ready for this. <sighs> well, as as it seems, they've actually done something surprising. They have apologized for something. Uh, for uh, trying to drag his name through the mud and just generally um, uh, typecast him as something that he's not? Or or what What did they apologize for, man? Well, for that, but only this one time. Uh, because they uh, produced this footage from Trayvon Martin's cell phone that they said in court was evidence of Martin beating, uh, videotaping his friends beating a homeless man. But in actuality, it was actually just two homeless men arguing over a bike. And so he recorded it with his phone. Yes. Like, like hundreds of thousands of people do on a regular basis. Yes. Got it. Just want to be sure. Uh, they're not sure how that became Trayvon Martin and friends beat the homeless. And they apologize. Oh, they apologize for that. Oh, they apologize. Oh, well, that's so kind of them that they apologize for uh, continuing to slander the dead kid, uh, and, uh, and getting away with it for the most part until someone can flat out say, uh, and again, why the hell is he on trial? Why is the kid on trial? <laughs> if, the, if this was, if this was Zimmerman's phone, then my guess, this is a discussion we should have. The kid's dead! <laughs> And you're telling me that, like, somehow, well, we don't know what's on. We gotta, we gotta go through all this phone. This is one of the most saddest things I've seen in a long time. Holy shit on a cracker. First of all, it's two trials. First, we have to find, we have to prove that Trayvon Martin is a human being. And then once we've confirmed, we can then have a murder trial regarding uh, Zimmerman. And, um, but, but not, not a minute before. Not a minute be before. Not a minute in court. Of, course, of not. course it's not. But the point is that people, what's going to happen is people are like, oh, you, you, know, you know there's a video of uh, Trayvon Martin beating up a homeless guy, right? Uh, by the way, I, I appreciate how they've adopted the Fox News style thinking aloud into a whole defense strategy. It's like, you see this video? This this this, this could be him filming the guy. I mean, I it could be because, I mean, black kids, they do that, right? But it could be, I don't know. I mean, it, it's not him. Oh, fuck. Oh. Sorry, guy. Oh, listen, sorry listen, don't that. worry about that. All right, don't worry about that. You're telling me him. that they didn't, they wouldn't have known that before, that before they, uh, they, uh, they, they, they got out there. You're telling me you didn't know that that wasn't Trayvon Martin. They would have known that within. Well, they seven, said it was him filming his friend. No, they would have known this within six days of this happening. They would have, no, I would, they would have known it just by looking at the clip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is ridiculous. This is this is beyond. Like they. I don't even know how I have no words for them. Well, they have actually uh, have accused Trayvon Martin's family of trying to uh, poison the evidence pool and public opinion because of their website. And they didn't apologize for that. So what? Well, what? What exactly did the Trayvon Martin parents' parents do? I don't recall seeing them drop any media on the media. Well, you know, they sat around saying that their son was a human being who deserves life, respect, and well, true. protection. Well, that would. That's like that's like running around screaming you're guilty or not guilty during the humanizing trial, the humanization trial. We're, we're, so we're not, you can't, when we're trying to figure out whether this boy is human, you can't have his parents up there on TV saying that my boy is human. That'll actually sway the jury. So they have a point. You can't be at there. And maybe after we confirm whether he's human or an animal worthy of being gunned down in the street, then we can go ahead and have his parents speak up about how much of a human, how much of a, a normal kid this uh, their boy was. 
No, let's uh, let's just, let's just uh, let's just keep slandering the other uh, dead kid. Let's just come up with as much we can say and just as much negativity as possible, uh, and then uh, go about your day. I mean, I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be surprised for them to yell something really froggy in court and then say and then uh, the other side says objection and just go. You know, you're, you're right on it. Uh, 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 we, we take it back. I feel like they're going to be playing that game. Like, didn't Trayvon Martin rape and kill a woman and then do coke off her dead body? Objection, Your Honor. You know what? You know what? Sorry about that. You don't, you don't, you don't have to answer that. Like, yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks. You've already put, you're putting it out there. You're specifically trying to paint a picture. And the fact is that you're being this shameless with a dead kid, a dead 17 year old that was unarmed and didn't, and I, all right. All right. You're right, Elon. Not, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm a little annoyed about this. So much injustice, so much pain, so much pain was in the game. He was 17, a young fella. George Zimmerman is a cold-blooded killer. His color was the reason to solve his riddle. Getting shot, all he had was some tea and Skittles. I got young sons, so it touches deep. I pray for his parents tonight when I go to sleep. Racism, yeah, it still exists. Eliminating hate would be my one wish. Regardless if you're a bad egg or a real goodie, you'll get judged like you did because he wore a hoodie. Protest is needed for all the wrongness. Enough rallies to influence Congress. One of the most negative things that happened this week in regard to the Supreme Court was, of course, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. And we saw in the wake of that gutting, immediately Texas and soon other states will be instituting voting ID laws and other regulations and restrictions on voting, obviously meant to target minorities and perhaps um, poor communities and things like that. So uh, there is some debate now about a possible fix for the Voting Rights Act. We, we're going to discuss the possibility that that would pass in any form. But one interesting potential fix is that where the Supreme Court had a problem with certain states and certain districts being uh, particularly targeted by the Voting Rights Act for the, uh, the I guess, the... the what, what do you call it? The review of the voting restrictions before yeah, for, they can be put uh, into law. Section 5. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so what if we were to just pass one that applies to all the states? And so this is an interesting theory that I hadn't previously thought about. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I, I'm, I, one thing, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. It, this is something that you hadn't previously thought about, but everyone who knew that this was at risk, that this ruling was, was a risk this week. And a lot of people, most people in the civil rights community were pessimistic about this one. I think they were optimistic about the I think rights. I was being naive when yeah. it came to that. Uh, well, yeah, maybe. I, I, you know, and that's what happens with these courts sometimes. You, you just get blindsided, like, like it mm -hmm. was with health care. I mean, there were people who were spending months and months and months preparing for what the response was to Obamacare in that ruling last year. When Robert sided uh, with the typically liberal side of the bench, uh, everyone was shocked that they didn't have to do the work. This work has been prepared. Yeah these ideas about how to counter a bad ruling to Section 5 uh, has been prepared. So, uh, first of all, I think the Congress is going to act. Nancy Pelosi has already said she's going to have what they're calling the John Lewis Civil Rights Act. They're attaching a name to it, a name that is associated with, with uh, voting rights, you know, probably more than anybody alive right now. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then they're going to do this, John, which I think is something they've been preparing for a while. I didn't know the specifics of it either, but I do know they've been preparing responses. So it's not a bad way to get around what, what they did in the court on Monday. I would support a one-test uh, fits all uh, solution to this thing. Yeah. There's no re I mean, there's historical reasons, obviously, to single out specific states. 
uh, for restricting votes. But whatever litmus test we provide, as long as it increases voter participation across yeah. race demographics, you know, I, I'd be I'd be in, in complete support. Right, because they're not making any friends with the new immigrant population that's here. This is totally imbalanced legislation. When you think about what they're what the court did and then what the what the House is about to do on immigration, they don't jive at all. And that's that's one of the real problems with the Republican Party right now mm -hmm. is how to get around all of these uh, issues that have been you know familiar to them for a long time, which have been comfortable places to be. They're not so comfortable. The, the whole premise behind this whole debate and argument and outrage is the accepted notion that the way to win elections is to reduce the amount of mm -hmm. people who vote right. and participate in our democracy. Yeah. That, I think, should be hopefully something that we unpack. Why does well, it work? Probably well, they work, they work for them. It worked for them for a long time. Exactly. And so, it, you know, old habits die hard. And I think that's what, we're, what you're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. the, the other you know, side of this with, with voting rights, and, and it speaks to what you were just saying, Dennis, is that, you know, you talk about the states that were under uh, Section 5. You could be added to Section 5, too. It mm -hmm. didn't just mm -hmm. end in 1965. Mm -hmm. So there are, are districts around the country, not entire states, but there are districts under uh, that the Justice Department was going to add to Section 5. Right. So where there are problems existing right now, so you put them in Section 5 and, and put the onus on them to prove to the, to the government, to the Department of Justice, that they are making the proper... Um, uh, you know, accommodations to voters. So they have to do that too. They have to address those problems. And, and, and what John is uh, talking about here is, is certainly a way of looking at it that it would address the problems on a federal level, not just a state level. And this also, you can correct me if I'm wrong, reduces the access to early voting, it, well, which it, corrects the problem of access to voters. Why are we voting on Tuesday to begin with? We're well, not an agrarian society anymore. We I don't know, need yeah. to come in the harvest and then yeah. go to church on Sunday and travel all day. To, I mean, <laughs> to market. It's yeah, market have, be a holiday yeah. weekend. Yeah. Set up some yeah. fireworks and everyone go and vote. And there are elections on Saturdays in the country. Louisiana does it. I, I think Hawaii does it. Yeah, I think uh, this is a reference to what you were just saying there. When, when Obama came into office and we had the period of Democratic control of the Senate and the House, the fact that they did not make a national voting holiday, that to me has always struck me as a dereliction of duty on the part of the Democrats. Right. Like, I don't, that seems like it would be the easiest thing to pass. Well, but they nothing don't want nothing. you to vote. And I understand they, that, but they would have to but, go but, on the Sunday shows I think and it's say more why. That. I think that it would, I mean, you know, the, the, the filibuster and the issues that they take up in light of the filibuster. You know, people say, oh, he had the two-house majority. Mm -hmm. It was not as... as but I understand drop, that, but, you know? like, make them filibuster that. that. Yeah, well, if you make, make... them stand for two days to stop a national voting but holiday. But then it goes to what Dennis is saying, which not enough people in America would, would, would care about fighting that filibuster. You know? <laughs> Then that's a depressing thought, I think. Well, I, it I is, because there are a lot would. of people in this country that don't want everybody to vote, who don't want to make voting yeah. easier. I, I like to imagine that that's a minority, I guess. Uh, the yeah. system's constructed around decreasing the amount of voter mm -hmm. participation and then managing those who, par who are participating. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. That's why I want to shed. A, I want to cast a spotlight on that. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be just the system that we don't often see. I want them to have to have that debate. As I read in the rack this morning, Lord, I saw in the news a child was killed last night. Somebody else wanted his shoes. And people hurting other people for the color of their skin When will they realize that we all bleed red Love our fellow man Make a stand, make a stand Make a choice, make a choice Shout it loud, Shout it loud. Use your voice to open their eyes To what's around, what's around Falls of hate Did you see what CNN did yesterday? Oh, God. Which, which they have thing? six panelists. Okay. Number one. 
So it's that horrible, like, basic satire where there are six people on the screen at the same time, like, uh, like fucking that pyramid game show. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, and the subject was, oh yeah, N word versus cracker, which is worse. My favorite response to that was someone on Twitter who goes, the word you couldn't spell out, CNN. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, I think that's really all we need to say on that. That's ridiculous. On that, uh, I mean, talk about wasting people's time and not learning anything and talking about race in the most simple, insulting ways. And also, like, I feel like by even having that dumb fuck story, you're sort of giving credit to people who think that. Who think that maybe Cracker is just as bad. Um, yes, exactly. Because now they can be like, but they talked about it on CNN. It's still a serious debate. Yeah, even if you have a bunch of black guys on to say, what? What the fuck are you talking about? There's still, yeah, the fact that it's even up for debate gives Which credence. Which is not, by the way. CNN's no. just fucking stupid. They're just fucking dumb. And, like, and to do it because this involves a 17-year-old kid who was murdered? Fuck you. It would be, like, one thing if, like... Uh, I don't know, Chris Rock just went rogue and started calling everyone crackers and someone got offended and tried to sue. Then I guess I guess that's a story or whatever. But it's like, we're dealing with this. You know what's worse than the word cracker? Murdering a 17-year-old black kid. How about that? Um, and the only other thing I want to say on the Zimmerman trial is, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm somehow both glad it's getting as much coverage as it is because you rarely see coverage of the murder of a black kid. You know, there are, there are murders of black kids in poor communities every day. Um, so it's exciting that people actually care so much about this. But it's also terrible because whenever you give the 24 news cycle, 24 hour, 24 hour news cycle, anything to fixate on, you get dumb shit like this. Yeah, and part of that is because they have to fill airtime, so they just end up blathering about, like, the simplest things imaginable. Sometimes it also results in... And a lot of times that ends up being offensive. ...really cruel analytical moments, like what happened with um, Rachel Gentile, uh, where she was... She uh, was Trayvon Martin's friend. She was a witness in the trial... And a lot of pundits were sort of obsessing over the way she speaks. Uh, she's very soft-spoken and um, being very insulting in how they were talking about her, which is so cruel because uh, she's so young and she was terrified. She didn't want to be a witness. She was a reluctant witness. And her fucking friend was dead. Yeah, um, and it was really heartbreaking to see that. But that is another outcome of having a 24-hour news cycle where you just need these morons, a parade of morons to talk about nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um you know, the only things that came to light, um, all of them are bad for Zimmerman. Uh, I, we, I, I, I don't know if we just haven't gotten to the Trayvon victim-blaming shit yet. I mean, they kind of tried, but he kept saying, you know, these people, uh, uh, meaning black people, um, the, the, the wounds and the injuries he the sustained. Woman, okay, so the woman who was analyzing the forensic evidence was kind of a boss. Really? And... She shut down Zimmerman's, uh, lawyers pretty soundly. And she was, she was kind of awesome where she made it very clear. She was like, these were not life threatening injuries. And they kind of tried to work around that where they were like, but could they have been? Well, cause they're trying to say it was self, de- it was self defense and that he was really injured, right? So but yeah. Num- number one, 
if you're fucking following me at night and being a creep, I'm going to turn around and kick your ass. See, that to me is the heart of the matter. Like, I don't give a shit how badly George Zimmerman got beat up because the beginning of the altercation was because he was stalking Trayvon Martin. Yeah, exactly. And if you stalk a person and they beat the shit out of you, I mean, like, what did you expect to happen? Now, with that said, and that doesn't mean you shoot him to death. Uh, now, did Trayvon beat the shit out of him? Did a 17-year-old beat up this big dude? No. No. When you glance, even when you glance, I'm just like, fuck you. But uh, for a lot of people, uh, when you glance at the back of his head, it looks like all bloody and stuff like that. But you can tell I'm not a forensic expert. And you can tell it's dry blood. Well, if th- and that's what she that said. If you that blood off. She's like, he didn't need sutures. Uh, we put two Band-Aids on it. And it was fine. Two Band-Aids. Over, yeah. and, and, and you and, shot a kid. And the second degree murder thing is, you would have to prove that he thought he was going to die. Yeah. Um, and, and you, there were also like, where he was like oddly like callous and like sort of dismissive when being interviewed. Like where he was like, well, I kind of have things to do tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I have a problem with those kind of testimonies because people react to those situations in all kinds of bizarre, weird ways. So I don't think that's necessarily indicative of like someone being a racist. But... To me, what was racist was when he was on the 911 call and he was saying, these fucking people, or whatever he said, always get away. Um, And the 911 operator told him not to follow Trayvon, and he followed Trayvon. And then whatever happened, happened. But to me, the the real story is that he saw Trayvon Martin and assumed a young black man was up to no good. Yes. Uh, And when when the 911 officer, like, I'm sorry, when they say stop following him, it's like, it's you, dude. Mm. So... That's the update. I mean, hopefully, 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 the jury uh, sees it that way. The jury with one black person? Is that right? I yeah, heard, I, I mean, that. again, like... I know. Uh, but as it stands right now, I mean, like, that legal experts are saying that um, the prosecution's doing really well, so hopefully there will be a, a good outcome. Resident protest against... Stanford Police Department, player to your arrest a man accused of killing 17 year old Savannah Martin. Police say Martin was unarmed when he was shot by George Zimmerman. Yeah. Uh, damn, he was only 17, man. Why they ain't arrest that f***ing in George Zimmerman? He was unarmed, no type of actions to kill a man. Rachel profile and all he did was look at his skin. Here we go again. For police said they couldn't arrest that man because he shot his up the fence. Damn, damn, I can't believe they really let him free. 28 years old with a violent history. Last night on the show, we highlighted one example of how the Voting Rights Act works. Uh, this is a community college district in the greater Houston area. They tried to change the way they conduct elections in this district. They tried to cut the number of polling places in this district from 84 polling places down to 12. And the list of 12 proposed new polling places had one very notable feature. The new list made it really easy to vote if you were a white person and really hard to vote if you were not a white person. Look, the site with the smallest proportion of minority voters, so the whitest voting site, was set up to serve 6,500 voters. The most heavily minority site serves over 67,000 voters. So the big new election idea in this election district in Texas was that the most heavily minority polling place should serve ten times as many voters as the whitest polling place. The Justice Department told that election district in Texas that they could not do that. They could not make that change. The Justice Department looked at that plan and told them to try again, to try to find a way that was more fair. 
That happened because Texas officials have to get an advance okay from the Justice Department before they change their election laws because of Texas's history of racial discrimination in elections. Discrimination like, oh, say, making the polling places for black and brown people handle ten times as many voters as the polling places for white people. Because Texas has done and has kept doing stuff like that, Texas needs preclearance when they make changes. If they think they should not be on that preclearance list anymore, Texas could apply to opt out. They could try to prove that they are not trying to discriminate anymore. Texas has not been able to opt out. And so the Justice Department was able to block that plan in that greater Houston area college district. Also, the Justice Department was able to block Texas Republicans' voter ID plan. Rick Perry signed this law when he was trying to make a splash running for president. But the Justice Department said the Texas ID, voter ID law would be a disaster in terms of racial discrimination in Texas elections. Since Hispanic registered voters are more than twice as likely as non-Hispanic registered voters to lack the ID that would be required to vote in Texas under the new law. So Texas plans like that. New laws to block Hispanics from voting at more than double the rate of non-Hispanics. Or killing 80% of the polling places and setting up new ones where white people get 10 times the service as non-white people. Plans like these from the last few years in Texas, they were blocked from ever coming into effect. Even though Texas wanted to do them. They were blocked from coming into effect because the Justice Department could block them because of the Voting Rights Act. As of today, that's over. The court did not change anything about the basic idea that some places cannot be trusted to make new election laws on their own. They should have to get preclearance from the Justice Department. The court left that in place, theoretically, but they invalidated the existing list of places that qualify for that kind of special scrutiny. They threw that part of it instead to Congress in its infinite wisdom to come up with a new way of identifying places that need that special scrutiny of preclearance in order to change their laws. And until Congress gets around to working on that, it is open season on voting rights right now in America. In Texas today, the Republican Attorney General announced, with today's decision, the state's voter ID law will take effect immediately. In Mississippi today, same thing, the Republican Attorney General announcing the process for implementation of voter ID begins today. In Alabama today, same thing, the Republican Attorney General and the Republican Secretary of State announcing voter ID will be the first process that we will go through under this new ruling. In North Carolina, same deal, Republicans had been holding back from voter ID there because they knew it would probably be too racially discriminatory to pass the preclearance requirement. But now that that requirement's gone, hey, full steam ahead. Now we can go with the full bill, says the Republican Rules Committee chairman in North Carolina's Republican-controlled Senate. Why stop just with voter ID? He says he predicted an omnibus voting bill would surface in the Senate next week that could go beyond voter ID to include issues such as reducing early voting, eliminating Sunday voting, and barring same-day voter registration. They might not have been able to get away with racially discriminatory policies like that before today, but as of 10 a.m. today, go for it. The floodgates are open. The floodgates are open. Anything these states with a history of racial discrimination could not get away with before because they were covered under the Voting Rights Act and the Justice Department would block them. Now they can go ahead. And they are. Day one, they're already rushing forward. And there's nothing to stop them unless Congress fixes it. What are the odds of Congress fixing it? No, really, what are the odds? The Voting Rights Act that broke the segregationist lock on the ballot box 
rose from the courage shown on a Selma Bridge one Sunday afternoon in March of 1965. On that day, African Americans, including a member of the United States Congress, John Lewis, marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in a protest intended to highlight the unfair practices that kept them off the voter rolls. Today, we renew a bill that helped bring a community on the margins into the life of American democracy. My administration will vigorously enforce the provisions of this law, and we will defend it in court. I am proud to sign the Voting Rights Act Reauthorization and Amendments Act of 2006. The vote in the Senate that made it possible for then-President George W. Bush to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act seven years ago, that vote was 98 to nothing, famously, right? In the Senate, it was unanimous. You know what, though? In the House, it was not unanimous. It was still an overwhelming vote, but there were 33 no votes in the House, 33 Republicans in the House who voted no that year. And of those 33 House Republicans who voted against the Voting Rights Act, 19 of them are still in the House as Republican members of Congress. And occasionally, House Republicans do pipe up on this issue, as Georgia Republican Paul Brown did last year when he introduced an amendment to block the enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. He brought it up in the middle of the night, tried to get it passed as part of a big spending bill, and John Lewis, that Democratic Georgia congressman who was beaten to within an inch of his life in Alabama on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in a demonstration that became a conflagration of police violence, which is how we got the Voting Rights Act in the first place. John Lewis was there in the House in the middle of the night last year, in May of last year, to answer Paul Brown when Paul Brown tried to block enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. And when John Lewis confronted him on the floor of the House, Paul Brown just collapsed apologizing and stuttering and wishing he had not brought it up. Maybe some of us need to study a little contemporary history dealing with the question of voting rights. Just think, before the Voting Rights Act of 1965, it was almost impossible for many people in the state of Georgia, in Alabama, in Virginia, in Texas, to register to vote, to participate in the democratic process. It's shameful that you would come here tonight and say to the Department of Justice that you would, must not use one penny, one cent, one dime, one dollar to carry out the mandate of Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. I apologize to my dear friend from Georgia if he's gotten angry with this amendment. And it's never my intent to do so. And I'm going to ask unanimous consent to withdraw the amendment. So which is it now, Republican Party? Are you Paul Brown stuttering and apologizing and, and saying you never meant any offense, taking it back? Or are you, are you Paul Brown introducing a stealth amendment in the middle of the night trying to kill the Voting Rights Act? Are you every single Republican in the United States Senate voting to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act, standing proudly by as your Republican president when he, with your Republican president as he signs it? Or, or, or are you the 33 House Republicans who that same year voted no, voted to kill the Voting Rights Act? Are you the Republican House Majority Leader, Eric Cantor, marching with John Lewis this past year to reenact what happened on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, to reenact the human toll and the human endurance of violence that brought us the Voting Rights Act? Or are you these Republican state officials in Alabama, in Mississippi, in North Carolina, in Texas, rushing ahead today 
with the laws that were too racist for the Voting Rights Act to allow, but that now can be forced through because the Voting Rights Act is dead. Dead unless Republicans in Congress agree that it should be saved. Which Republican Party are you? In a blistering, long, incredulous dissent from the court's ruling today, Liberal Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that the court erred egregiously. She said the court dramatically overreached. She said, quote, hubris is a fit word for today's demolition of the Voting Rights Act. John Lewis put it in terms Justice Stark. He said the Supreme Court put a dagger in the heart of the Voting Rights Act. The thing about this dagger in the heart, though, is that the patient with the dagger in the heart is still alive. And the doctor standing over the body, thinking about what to do next, turns out is a Republican. The Voting Rights Act did not have Section 5 struck down. Preclearance still exists, theoretically. The Voting Rights Act can be saved right away if Congress decides to save it. The Democrats want to save it. Unanimously. The Democrats, they control the Senate. Their judiciary chairman in the Senate said today he will get to work immediately on legislation to save it. The Republicans control the House. So far, their judiciary chairman has said nothing. This is the cornerstone of American civil rights law. This is legacy time. What are you guys going to do? Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So in the past few days, I have had a couple of conversations about white privilege. Uh, these are conversations I haven't had to have in a while. I guess people who don't believe in white privilege ha- just haven't taken the time to, to call or write, so I thought maybe there weren't any of those people listening and I didn't have to worry about it. But I actually had to have two simultaneously recently. And the fact that I had these two simultaneously meant that I I could see a really stark similarity between the two that made this one aspect of the conversation stand out. And that was that the people I was talking to uh, made it really clear to me through their answers that they were not understanding what I was saying in the way that I intended for them to understand it. Of course, I can't possibly know exactly how they understood what I was saying. I wouldn't, you know, you can't know exactly what another person is thinking, but based on their responses and the questions they were asking, I could tell that we were essentially not using the same definition of the word or or the term white privilege. And so if we're not using the same uh, definition, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, I'm saying that two plus two is four and someone, and so the answer is four and someone else is saying, no, two plus three is five. So the answer is five. You know, you're kind of, you're both right, but you're sim- just not even talking about the same thing. And so there's nothing to argue over. You're just having a different conversation. And so uh, I'll, I'll give it a little example in the form of an analogy. Like for instance, I am as positive that white privilege exists as I am positive that gravity exists. But the question I I was asked at least once was essentially, you know, if gravity exists, then why am I able to jump? And you, 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 I mean, you, you see how that comes across like, right. Gravity is that force that pulls us towards the earth. So 
you shouldn't be able to jump. Like you, you can kind of understand their logic, but you know it's fundamentally flawed because of a, a misunderstanding of how gravity works, how strong it is, and so on. And so with white privilege, I was essentially asked, you know, how can you believe that being white helps a person out and, and gives them an advantage in every circumstance and situation throughout their entire life, always 100% of the time. I thought, well, that, okay. But I mean, if you, if you think, you know, if, if your interpretation of the definition of white privilege is, you know, the institutional social phenomenon that causes all white people to be better off than all people of other races in all cases and circumstances 100% of the time, and then you decide, well, that phenomenon doesn't exist because white people clearly aren't better off in all circumstances, uh, you know, f- from compared to everyone else all the time, 100%. So you decide, well, that doesn't exist. Well, then you'd be right. You'd be right that that doesn't exist. What you're wrong about is your definition of white privilege. And so rather, you know, as I said, I think rather than like, give examples and, and try to prove that it's true, I'm just asking that if you are one of the people sort of on the fence, you're not quite sure what white privilege is, you're not, you know, it doesn't sound right to you, it, it doesn't sit right, or, or maybe you're 100% positively convinced that it does not exist, then rather than just, you know, butt heads with you and say that you're wrong and I'm right, I'm begging you to consider the possibility that the definition you are using may not be the same as what other people are using and that that is the source of the confusion and the source of your you know impression that what you believe to be white privilege doesn't exist might not be the same as what I'm saying as when I say that white privilege does exist. This was not the sort of thing I thought I would have to say on the show, but having just had two conversations with people in, in which they made it really clear that we were not using the same definitions for words I, I really just want to encourage anyone questioning the subject to go look up the definition from a variety of places online, you know, places like Wikipedia and Urban Dictionary, where it's put together by lots of different people who sort of have to agree on on what's being said in order for it to be published and, and to rise to the top uh, are, are good places. Uh, people who speak on this professionally, uh, Tim Wise, you can go to his website, timwise.com. Uh, org.com he has a frequently asked questions page that explains exactly what he considers white privilege to be and these are all the sources that i took my information from to come to the conclusion i've come to so if you think you disagree with me i would just suggest that you go and read up on how i you know how i and people like me who are arguing what i'm arguing interpret the words that we're using so that we make sure we're all on the same page So then we can decide if maybe we disagree from that point going forward. So that's it for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you're not already subscribed to get every single episode of the show, please do that. You can do it in iTunes. You can uh, get the RSS feed and plug it into any podcatching software you can imagine. Uh, Then there are smartphone apps, including Stitcher and Best of the Left has its own apps just for the show made for iPhone and Android. Thanks especially and also to those who uh, support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives, and members now get bonus content uh, in which I talk about all sorts of great and interesting things, hopefully, and uh, you can get all that by becoming a member. Or if you're already a member, send me an email, and I will get you those details right away. 
Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame how we get so trained We can see past all the sad stories And one